2 Timothy chapter 4, I'm going to start in verse 1. It says, In the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, in view of his appearing and his kingdom. How many of you in the room believe Jesus is coming again? All right, so in view of that, I give you this charge. He says, Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, (laughs) endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering and the time for my departure is near this is the apostle paul writing so he says this he says i have fought the good fight i have finished the race i have kept the faith now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the lord the righteous judge will award to me on that day and not only me not only me but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Is there anybody in the room today who longs for the appearing of the Son of God? Amen. Father, we thank you for your word today. Help us in Jesus' name. God, we want to keep the faith. We want to keep the faith. One of the ways we do that is we keep our head in all situations, Paul said. So today, God, teach us how to keep the faith. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Paul said this, he said, I've, I've already started being poured out as an offering. He's, if you look over the life of Paul, Paul gained so much in knowing Christ, but he also lost a lot. And there is something to losing natural things for Christ. As a matter of fact, Jesus acknowledged it. He said, nobody who's ever given up anything in this life, whether it's money or homes or family or whatever you give up in this life, he says, will I not pay you back in this life and in the life to come? And that always, that doesn't always come in natural payback. <laughs> Very often that's a spiritual payback. Because we're not really trying to build our life on natural things. We're trying to build our lives on spiritual things. Paul says, man, I've lost a lot, but I have kept the faith. I've lost a lot of time. I've lost a lot of money. I've lost relationships. I've lost sleep. I've lost health, but I didn't lose my faith. Any, anybody in the room like that today who say, man... I've lost some things, but the one thing that I have that I have not lost is my faith. Come on, we need to give God some praise that maybe we've lost some money, maybe I've lost some. Robbie, you don't understand, man. I'm broke, but I'm still believing. Come on, anybody been betrayed, but you're still believing? Anybody in the room sick, but you're still believing? Anybody been unable to sleep, but you're still believing? 
Anybody got some anxiety in your life about the way the world is going right now, but you're still believing? Let's put our hands together and thank God that we are still believing. And one of the things I'm finding out in this season of my life is that, is, is that worship doesn't always deliver me immediately, but worship immediately ushers in the deliverer. Worship doesn't always pull me out of my circumstances, but worship always pulls him into my circumstances. As a matter of fact, I don't know if it pulls him in. Maybe it just reveals him already with me in my circumstances because he promised me never leave me nor forsake me. Is there anybody thankful today? Even though God doesn't always immediately deliver me, the deliverer is always and immediately with me. I'm thankful for that today. That my worship doesn't always immediately deliver me, but it immediately delivers the deliverer to me. It doesn't matter what I need delivered from. I have the deliverer with me today. Hebrews 6, 11 through 12. There's a really important portion of scripture on faith. And in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews talks about all of these heroes of faith and how they died having not yet received the promises of God. They died in faith. And as a challenge to those who are still alive, living in a very difficult time which they were living in in that day, he says this. He says, I want each of you to know or to show this same diligence to the very end, so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been pro- promised. Why in the world is patience necessary? Hebrews ten thirty six. the writer says, for you have need of endurance So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. How many of you have found out that there is a there's a time in between doing what God says and receiving the promises that the obedience was supposed to deliver? How many of you have found that out? So the writer reminds us, he says, "Okay, this is what you need. He he said, I need you to have faith and patience. And he says in Hebrews 10, 36, I I need you to have endurance because once you have through faith expressed your belief in the promises so much that you obeyed God, now you need what's you need what's called endurance so that you can hang on until the promise is fulfilled. Hebrews really teaches us that there are some things in life that God will not alter for us. Some situations that we go through that he will not always take us out of them. Some things in your life, you can't rebuke them away. Some things that you're going through, you cannot pray them away. You must learn how to pray your way through. Has anybody ever found yourself in something you've not been able to pray your way out of, fast your way out of, rebuke the devil your way out of? 
What God is trying to teach you is, is I don't want you to just have enough faith to deliver you from stuff. I want you to have the type of faith that will keep you while you're in the middle of the thing that you're going through. I don't need God to deliver me from 2022. I need God to keep me in the middle of 2022. Can somebody say amen? So I need not just faith. I need endurance. And the thing about endurance that's different than even the faith necessary for salvation. It's a gift that you receive. Endurance is something that's developed. It's not something that's given. It's developed. It's developed. The Bible teaches us that we should count it all joy when we face trials because it's developing endurance. It's developing patience in us. And he says, and you must let patience finish the job. (laughs) So I want to talk to you today about developing endurance. And this is not going to be the most fun you've ever had in church on a Sunday. But I, I promise you, if you will lean in for these next 20 to 25 minutes, God will put something down on the inside of you so strong That even though you feel like life is crazy right now, and even though you feel like life is chaotic right now, and the world looks out of control, you can leave this place today with some stability in your life, knowing that the wind will blow and the storm will come, but it cannot destroy my life. Because like the song we sang earlier, I built my house on the rock that is Christ Jesus. Come on, somebody. Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49, Jesus says this. He says, why do you call me Lord and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep. And then he laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood came and the torrent struck that house, could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. And if I've, if I've noticed anything, if anything has stood out to me over the past two years, It's the fragility of people who were supposed to be followers of Jesus. <laughs> it's, it's the weak nature of the faith of people who claim to have built their life on Jesus. As the storm has been raging for a little over two years now. Some things have been revealed. That we probably wanted to stay hidden. (laughs) Let's just talk about the church as a whole, for example. I think over the past two years, I've seen more ministers and ministries 
fall and fail than at any other point in my lifetime. I thought the 80s were bad. But 2020 through 2022 has revealed that not only have the people been building their lives on sandy foundation, but the people who were supposed to teach people how to build their lives weren't building their lives correctly. And, and the Bible teaches us that, that when a cedar falls, that when a large tree falls, that it doesn't fall by itself, but when it falls, it hurts and harms all of the trees that are connected to it and under it. And if, we've, if we are living in a time where ministries and ministers are failing, what is happening to the hearts of people? I was just talking to a friend the other day, and he, he was telling me about a mutual friend of ours that had left the faith. And they left the faith not because something drastic had happened to them. They had actually survived the death of a child. They had actually survived tragedy in their own health. They had, their faith had survived all of that. But do you know what collapsed their faith? The, that the person who led them to Christ fell. And I thought, we haven't been building our lives on Jesus. We've been building our lives on personalities. We haven't been building our lives on the rock. We've been building our lives on gifts and talents. We've been building our lives on little rocks, but not the rock. The psalmist said, he is the rock of my salvation. And here's the interesting thing about this story is that Jesus' challenge is if you're going to hit the rock, he says, you must dig down deep. For the believer, rain should never be a problem. For the believer, the storm should never be the problem. Our problem When rain becomes a problem, it's covering. And our problem, when the storm becomes a problem, is foundation. And what I'm discovering about so much of our faith is we have taught people how to pray storms away instead of building a life that can handle them. And I want to talk to you about structure for a moment because when the rain comes, one of the things that we do, right, when, it, when it's raining really hard, and say you have to go to the grocery store and it's raining really hard, you're in your car, and you're nice and dry, so you try to find a parking space really close, close to the front door, but then you open up the door and it doesn't matter how great your umbrella is, Man, if the, if the rain is coming in and the wind is blowing and it's coming in sideways, it doesn't matter. You're going to get wet. And if you don't have an umbrella, you're going to get soaked. And we run into the place where a structure has been built that can handle the rain. 
what a structure does is it builds a boundary that says, you can reign on me, but you can't reign in me. <laughs> and I think for so many of us, what this time is revealed is the absence of structure. Some things in our life we have exposed ourselves to because we haven't built the structure to declare a boundary that says, devil, you can reign on me, but you can't reign in me. You can reign around me, but you can't see because the water only affects me if it gets on, if it gets in me. It's, it's, uh, I don't drown because I get rained on. I drown because too much water gets inside. And I have to set up a structure in my life that says, here's a boundary that says, I, I'm not allowing this into my life. And I think for so long, the church has been so afraid of boundaries because we don't want to get caught up in the legalism of the people before us. And we don't want to be like, oh, you can't wear this. You can't wear that. You can't go see this. You can't go see that. You know, rated R movie. I, I don't want to be that guy, but I also think the rain's fault and it's not God's fault. Maybe it's your fault because you haven't built a structure. And, and look what Luke says that God, God provides in this story the Bible says, if you'll dig deep enough, you'll find rock. In other words, God says, I'll provide the rock, but you have to dig to get it. And then he said, they built the house. So the guy that built the house on, on the steps to you, becoming everything that God wants you to be is, is you. Maybe you're frustrated with the life you are living in because you built... It. If you're not happy with it, maybe it's not that you're not happy with God. Maybe it's that you're not happy with what you built. Some relationship problems in my life are not relational, they're structural. I'm letting people in that shouldn't be getting in. If we look at the Old Testament and all of the law, the 600 plus laws that Moses instituted, so many of them, if you look clearly at them, so many of them have nothing to do with morality. What's right and wrong. So many of them are laws that God put in place to make them unique from other nations. So much of the dietary law, so much of the dress code. <laughs> when you look at the Old Testament, same people who use Leviticus to throw, you can't get a tattoo at you, are the same people who will Go home and eat a steak today. You know what I'm talking about? Same people who will cut their hair above their collar. I mean, it's all in Leviticus. It's, it's all there. But so many of those laws were not necessarily, oh, it's, it's bad to cut your hair. It's, it's bad for a, a woman. And they, had, they had rules about the, the, 
the way they even put their garments together. You couldn't put a new garment with an old garment. You couldn't, you, you couldn't mix certain colors together. There were all, and all of this was to make them unique from other people. Israel's biggest issue was that they would not embrace their uniqueness. And so every time they would get free and they would find themselves surrounded by other people and nations, they would start to, they would start to marry. They would start to take on their gods. They would start to worship their idols. They would start to, to, to mix together their relationship, their uniqueness in God with the culture they were part of. They never could come to grips with their uniqueness. And if you don't embrace that you were made to not fit in, you will have a hard time with Jesus. You will have a hard time with the conviction that the Holy Spirit brings into your life because it's not always about this. You're going to go to hell. You're living on way too low of a level when everything with you is about heaven or hell. God is trying to bring you up to a level of, of, I have made you a unique creation, a peculiar people. I made it so that you stand out, so that you look different, so that you talk different, so that you act different. It's not always heaven or hell. I'm just trying to get you to embrace who I uniquely created you to be. And until you embrace the uniqueness that you are created with, you'll always be frustrated in your faith. And until you embrace the fact that you're not supposed to fit in, your faith will be affected when you don't. Here's the challenge. The challenge Jesus gives is to dig deep. So as I'm digging, what's required? First thing that's required to dig is a shovel. Depending on the process, that determines how big of a shovel you need. I honestly think when people get married, instead of, them, instead of buying them blenders, we should, we should give them shovels. Because you're going to use, because you're going to have to dig a whole lot more in your marriage than you are going to make smoothies. There's going to be a whole lot more digging than smoothie making in a real marriage. That's why all the movies end at the wedding. Because nobody wants to watch. You dig for 10 years. But as you dig, you're removing everything. That isn't strong enough to build on. And as you dig, I told you earlier, as you dig, you're going to hit a lot of little rocks. Money, friends, career, spouse, children. But none of those things are strong enough for you to build your life on. So I dig deep. And as I'm digging deep, if I'm not careful and I start to look 
at my neighbor who's already building up while I'm digging deep, I'll get in a hurry. And I'll get into a pace that God hasn't graced me for in my life. And I'll start trying to keep up with their pace. I'll start trying to keep up with how high they're going. And and it looks like I'm not going anywhere because I'm still stuck over here. I'm still looking for rock. And they got windows. And they're getting a refrigerator delivered. And I'm still looking at a hole in the ground. And if I'm not careful, I'll start to compete. And I won't dig Slow. So I dig deep, but this process is a slow process. He said, I need you. You need endurance because you're going to need to wait a little while after you've done the will of God to see some of these promises that are going to be realized in your life. Can I tell you this? Slow is not the devil. (laughs) Man, we can get of the opinion that slow is demonic. I don't like to go slow on the highway. If there's traffic, what is it? The devil. (laughs) Right? Traffic is of the devil. Anything slow is of the devil. The line at Starbucks is of the devil. Anything that requires patience, who do we blame? It's the devil. But slow is not the devil. Slow is God. If you knew how many times God slowed you down so that you wouldn't kill yourself in a hurry. If you knew how many times God delayed you so that you wouldn't be somewhere you weren't supposed to be in something you weren't supposed to be. I just want to take a moment right now. I, 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 it's easy to praise God for the finished product. I want to thank God for slow. I don't know if we've ever in 35 years given God a praise for slow, but maybe right now we could put our hands together and say, God, I want to thank you for slowing me down when being in a hurry would have killed me. So go slow. The Bible teaches us don't despise small beginnings. This is the importance of going slow. Because what I'm building, God intends that it wouldn't disappear as quick as it appeared. First John 3 and 2 says, at this moment, we, not, we might not look like a finished product. But it says, when he appears, we will be like him. If, if, if I'm not cautious and slow... What I'll do is if, if I don't embrace it as a virtue, then, then what I'll do is I'll spend my life, I'll spend my life digging to find something 
It's not for me. Most people never find the rock. Most people live their lives in envy. Most people live their life either wanting what someone else has or possessing what belonged to somebody else. (laughs) Why? Because you didn't want to dig deep. You wanted to you wanted to dig up and you thought, man, I'm 25 years old. I'm single and I better I better get married. Clock's ticking. Baby makers wasting away. And so we either end up jealous of what other people have or with something or someone that belongs to somebody else. A lack of patience is an indicator of a desire out of control. And so what God is trying to to do for you is only give you what belongs to you. But man, that process is slow. And if I'm also if 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 I if I don't embrace slow as God sometimes, then I'll even think that I'm supposed to overcompensate for my inability. And what I mean by that is I'll start to think that because things aren't happening for me, it's because I'm not enough. And so I'll overcompensate in the areas where I think I'm not good enough. And I'll put the focus of my life on the things I can't do instead of on the things that I can do. And I will, in effect, waste my life being mediocre. (laughs) When even the things that I can't do are an indicator of God's direction in my life. My inability is as much God's direction as my ability. My inability shows me where I shouldn't be wasting my time so that I maximize my life by doing what God has gifted me to do. This is the grace of God. My inabilities are actually the grace of God that that teaches me how to not waste my time doing something that I was not assigned to do, being with someone I was never assigned to be with, trying to become someone I was never destined to become. And if I don't embrace slow, then I'll end up building something I was never intended to build on something I was never intended to build it on. Someone said about debt, they said debt is when you 
spend money you don't have to impress people you don't even really like. (laughs) So I dig deep, I dig slow, and I dig with discipline. Because as a follower of Jesus, the success you see in anybody's life following Jesus is the result of a discipline you don't see. And, and most of the time in our lives, the things that make the greatest impact are the ones that get the least recognition. Reminds me of that movie. Anybody see the movie Hidden Figures? About this, this, uh, this group of, of black women who were doing all this math on the, on the, in, the same, on the, in the same area as all of these other people but they were hidden away and nobody ever really knew what they contributed. And then all of a sudden you hear the whole story and you realize that the only way we ever made that happen is because there were people, the people that made the biggest contribution weren't the ones that walked on the moon. It was the people whose story had never been told before. And you got to realize in your life, it's the same way. The things that aren't seen make the greatest impact in your life. The things that get the least recognition are the things that are going to make the greatest impact in your life. I don't care how great you are when everybody is looking. Who are you when nobody sees you? Most people, listen to me, most people don't drown in the lack of something. They drown in the abundance. If there were to be a report in the newspaper this week, local pastor passes away, drowning incident. You're, man, why, why is Robbie on the lake in March? What was he? He drowned in a kiddie pool. You'd be like, that's strange. He's a grown man. Take a lot for a grown man to drown in a kiddie pool. It's like two feet of water. Because most people don't drown in the lack. Most people drown in the abundance. A storm is just the abundance of something that is otherwise not that big of a deal. The wind is blowing today, but it's not blowing hard enough to knock something over. So a storm is the abundance of something that is otherwise not that big of a deal. Rain, not that big of a deal. Too much, then you have a problem. Too much wind, you have a problem. So I have to teach myself. To make decisions while I'm strong that are going to protect me when I'm not. Storms hit everybody. Storms, no matter what you've built your life on, you are not exempt from storms. So while there aren't any, I have to I have to make decisions in my strength that are going to protect me when I'm weak. 
one of the, one of the greatest indicators that I'm, I'm going deep spiritually is self-awareness. Paul started off his ministry by saying that he was, he was the big time apostle. By the end of his ministry, he says, I'm chief of sinners. I'm the worst of the worst. It's, it's the depth that he went to spiritually that created not more arrogance, but more self-awareness. It was like, I'm, I'm fully aware now of where I'm weak, where I'm strong, where I could potentially fall, what the, the things in my life that get me trapped, the things in my life that are destructive to me, I'm aware. I know that, that, if, that if anybody could fall, I'm, I'm aware that it's me. If, if, there is a, if there is a top dog sinner, I'm him. I'm the chief of sinners. It was an awareness of, of the level of his depravity that actually created the strength and the power that he walked in. You know who was really unaware of self? In scripture, David. King David was not aware of himself. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, the Bible says in the springtime, when the kings went off to war, the Bible says David sent his military away, but himself, he stayed Home. Oh, man. If I don't use my strength appropriately, I'll use it destructively. In the springtime, the way the Bible puts it was it was like, it was like, Baseball in the spring when baseball starts. He says in the spring when war started. So in other words, there's all this preparation for spring. They haven't been at war. They've been preparing and they have all of this strength. They have all of this energy. They are ready to fight. It's springtime. And the Bible says all of the kings go to war, but David stays home. And David uses the strength that was intended to fight a battle. He uses that strength to destroy a family. Because when he stays home, that's when he sees Bathsheba bathing on that rooftop. He gets her pregnant. He tries to bring her husband Uriah back in so that he would sleep with his wife and so that he would kind of kind of just fade into the background and they could kind of have their family back again. But Uriah, who, who, who wouldn't go in and sleep with his wife, why? Because he said, my strength is needed for the battle. So he goes to fight and David eventually, the Bible says David eventually has his commanders put Uriah at the, at the front of the fight and he's killed. And David takes Bathsheba as his wife, unaware of himself. You have to use your strength 
correctly or you will use it destructively. The strength that was intended to fight a war, he used that same power to destroy a family because he wasn't aware of his weaknesses. He wasn't disciplined. So you have to know enough about yourself to make decisions in your time of strength to protect you from your weaknesses because you don't, need, you don't only need protection from the enemy. Church, I think the person we need most protection from is ourselves. And I believe that this is the year where you and I get out of our way. If I'm not gonna be who God called me to be, I'm not gonna look back and say, man, it was Robbie's fault. I'm getting out of my way. Let me give you a way to do that and I'll close. I'll let you go here. Matthew chapter 18, verse 19, Jesus is teaching and he says something so radical. He says, hey, if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away. That's crazy. So Jesus, are you telling me that if I'm struggling with what I'm looking at, I should gouge my eye out and throw it away? I don't know if Jesus was was kind of speaking over the top, some sort of hyperbole, just kind of like language that was very extreme. Or if he really meant take your eye out, I'm going to assume he didn't mean that let's start there. I'm, I'm going to assume there's, there's other things we can do before it comes to this. But I think the point of this story is what he says. He says, why would, you, why would you do this? He says, because it's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Maybe Jesus is teaching us that if you have to limit your vision to protect your vision, it's worth it. Think about this for a moment. So if I take one eye out, even just physically, let's talk about that for a moment. If I, if I remove an eye, what does that do to me? That affects, I, I can still see, but that affects the totality of my vision. I don't have as much vision. I have half of the vision I used to have. I don't have as much peripheral vision. My depth perception changes. I can still see, but I'm limited in how I see. Jesus is trying to tell you that if you have to limit your natural vision so that you can see clearer in the spirit, it's better for you to have limited vision in the natural, but to have your vision wide open in the spiritual. And, and this is how I dig with discipline. I discipline myself to know that, that even if I have to limit myself in natural things, whatever that is for you, if that's, if that's what you watch, if that's what you eat, if that's where you go, if that's who you hang out with, it's always better to limit yourself in the natural so that you can see clearer in the spirit. For some of you, that might mean stuff like this. It might mean you laugh, you have less square footage in your house, but you have more peace. 
For some of you, that might mean you have less money in your bank, but you have a better marriage. Because can I, can, I, can I tell you more money does not equal better marriage? Oh my God, how many marriages have I seen ruined because of money? Not just the lack of it, but because of the excess of it. So if I have to limit myself naturally so that I can have more in the spirit, if I have to turn off the news so that I can keep my peace, it'd be better. If I have to turn the radio off so that I have less anxiety, it'd be better. If I have to spend less time with certain people, so that I can spend more time with him, it'd be better. Be better. So I don't just go, I don't just dig deep and I don't just dig slow. I dig with discipline. I might have less in the natural, but I have more in the spirit. I might have half of what they have in the natural, but I've got twice what they've got in the spirit. Might have, a, might have a cheaper car, but I've got more joy. <laughs> and some of y'all need to understand that more naturally does not always equal more spiritually. Sometimes I have to limit. This is the practice of restraint. It's knowing myself enough to know I need to take this from my life to the point where I can't even I can't even see it so the Bible says we set we set our face Jesus said about the Bible says about Jesus that when he was getting ready to go to the cross he set his face like a flint like like he put blinders on his vision was focused and he had to take his he had to take his focus off of some of the natural things that he had been doing, going to people's houses, having meals, all of this stuff that he had been doing. He had to limit that so that he could focus on what was spiritually necessary for his life. And I want to tell you, one of the keys to getting out of your own way is restraint. It's the practice of restraint. I am aware of what could make me fall so I turn off my vision. Focus is not about what you are, it's not just about what you are looking at. Focus is also about what you refuse to look at. What you refuse to participate in, where you refuse to go. Because I have, there's something in front of me for the joy, Jesus said, set before him. I have to have something in front of me that's so spiritually satisfying that nothing in this natural life is worth giving into so that I can have that in the spirit. And he is worth it. He is worth it. It might take some time, but he is worth it. You might not finish when your friends do, but he is worth it. It might not be as big as theirs was, but he is worth it. It, it might not be as fancy, but he is worth it. It might, it, might not, it might not look like, but he is worth it. Is there anybody in the room who would stand on your feet and say, God, you are worth it today? So I'm making a decision, God, I'm not, I'm not gonna build my life on any of the little rocks 
that show up while I'm digging. I can't build my life on money. I can't build my life on a career. I can't build my life on a spouse. I can't build my life on my children. I I can't build my life on my possessions. You are the rock of my salvation. You are the only thing stable enough for me to build my life on. And so I'm digging deep in 2022. I'm not going to stay at surface level any longer. I'm going deep into the things of God. And I don't mind it being slow and I don't mind the discipline because I want what you have for me in Jesus name come on and the church said amen amen every head bowed every eye closed if you're in this room today and you would say Robbie man I need a relationship with the Lord I need a relationship with God and and maybe you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus maybe you've Maybe you've never said yes to God. Can I tell you this? You don't don't get to God by finding your way to God. God came to you. So the message I even preached this morning about digging your way to the rock, that's not a salvation message. You don't dig your way to salvation. Salvation climbed out of a grave for you. This message this morning was for followers of Jesus who are establishing their life in Christ. It's a challenge to them to not settle for surface level Christianity, but go deeper today. If that's you and you say, man, I need a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I need my sins to be forgiven. I need to be made new today. If that's you on the count of three, throw that hand up in the air and we're gonna pray a prayer with you. One, two, three, throw your hand up in the air. If that's you, I need to make a decision for Jesus today. I see that one. I see those two hands. I see you. Awesome. Come on church. Let's first of all, let's put our hands together for those that lifted their hand this morning. She gave your life for me. I give you my life. Take all of it. Have your way. Use me for your glory. I repent of my sins. I confess you as Lord. Thank you. I'm saved. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, church. Let's put our hands together for those that prayed that prayer today. Awesome. We love you. If you made a decision for Christ, whether you're online or in the room, we'd love to connect with you.